It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we have John Paul and Sadie back taking your calls today. 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can also text and uh, WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. And I can already see calls and texts coming in. We are going to, in a couple of minutes, be speaking with the Restaurant Association of Ireland, who reckon up to half of all of the restaurants that were there before COVID-19 may not last uh, once restaurants are allowed to open. We know restaurants can open from next Monday. There's strict guidelines in place. There's the one metre social distancing and then there's this 90 minute rule that seems to be causing the most concern both from the restaurateurs and for the people dining. Well the 90 minutes has gone to hundred and five minutes you have an extra 15 minutes Uh, Ger on our Twitter account at C103 Cork says how will restaurants handle the 90 minute rule I can't see how people can wolf down a three course meal in that short space of time it can often take 20 minutes before the meal actually arrives at the table cafes will also suffer as they often don't want a meal and certainly don't want to book in advance cafes will also suffer okay walk-ins they they lose walk-ins I think according to the guidelines they can't do walk-ins walk-ins anyway you're going to all of your meals are going to have to be pre-booked and then we had a very funny uh, email in from Marie to Patricia at c103.ie saying hi I'm just thinking how are they going to know if people have been in a pub or a restaurant and they have been in for the 105 minutes so will they give people different wristbands you know like what they do in bounce zone or chuckies you know when children go on a play date and they get a wristband so that the people know you know they're there for an hour and a half the more I'm thinking about it says Marie the more I'm laughing just imagine being called out right people those wearing the yellow bands your time is up you must leave by the way those who've got red wristbands you have 10 minutes left and then there'll be a rush to get your last drink in how is it all uh, going to work a lot of people are questioning the 105 minutes but can I say when I was reading down through all the rules and regulations and there's a big tome of a book if you want to go through it what Fault Ireland are suggesting that the restaurants need to do and I know it's been done to keep everybody safe I don't want to be uh, I'm a bit tongue in cheek when, when I'm saying it's a big tome of a book uh, th- there's so many rules but uh, the 105 one this idea of getting in and out in a little over an hour and a half that's from the 29th of June but that gets lifted from what I can see that gets lifted on the 20th of July when then the pubs are allowed to open and uh, nightclubs etc and everything else is allowed to open from what I can see 
that gets removed for the restaurants then. Even though, you know, a lot of people have been saying, look, a lot of restaurants had that rule rule in place. If you booked your table for half six, you were told you've got to be gone by half eight because there's another group of people coming in. So, you know, some restaurants have been doing it and some people are used to uh, being asked to leave after two hours. But it's just uh, for some, it just it just seems there's too many rules and uh, regulations. So we will talk about that in more detail on the programme today. We're also looking for your thoughts and comments on the new government formation and what the new government is going to look like. And of course, the big questions being asked, what would happen if the programme for government is rejected at the weekend? And it looks like dissolving the doll is unlikely to be permitted by President Michael D. Higgins. Leading figures in both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are increasingly concerned that the requirement for the two-thirds majority, which is the, which is what, that's the rules and regulations for the Green Party. Some are saying that that could be a bridge too far with many TDs within the Green Party saying it literally is too close to call. We're going to be waiting on Saturday and it almost has a feeling like we are waiting for an election count to come in. I mean, everyone is going to be waiting to see what what way will the votes of the vote go? I know Green Party members all over the country have started voting. The votes, obviously it's a postal vote, the votes have started to arrive but it's, we won't know until Saturday what way they have voted and they need a two-thirds majority yay or nay in order to go forward. So attention now is starting to shift to what will happen should that deal be voted down. The Constitution says that if that happens, then the acting Taoiseach, Lear Varadkar, would formally have to look for the current doll to be dissolved. What would that mean? It would trigger a second general election. However, the parties believe that President Michael D. Higgins would not accede to such a request in light of the ongoing pandemic uh, uh, restrictions. Such a failure then would allow Fine Gael bow out of consideration the theory would be, well, we tried to form a government. It would then force the hand of Fianna Fáil to start talks with Sinn Féin because they'd be two of the larger parties because we know we two, we need two large parties in order to form a new government looking at the numbers that are there at the moment. The Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou Macdonald, says the country should be ready to move to Plan B in the event of a programme for government being rejected. However, she did say a second general election of 2020 would not be a catastrophe. I think she's the first really of the, certainly the first of the leaders to come out and say, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, wouldn't be a catastrophe. Yes, we could we could do it again. She was speaking on radio yesterday and she said she would look to form a government if either Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil or the Green Party rejects the programme and it is more likely that it will be the Greens who will reject the uh, the programme. But we've got to wait until uh, Saturday to find out. And also a fresh general election can't be ruled out if the the three-way coalition pact is rejected. And that was a quote from the Thornishta Simon Harris yesterday. Now he was pushed in an interview yesterday and uh, when he was pressed he says there could be a snap election if the deal fails. He said we can't rule out anything. But it does look within Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael that they certainly and even amongst the independents, I think they don't seem to want another general election. But interesting to see that Mary Lou now is really the first one out saying it wouldn't be. It would not be a catastrophe if we were to have another election. And certainly yesterday, when we started talking about it, it came up, it got mentioned on the programme yesterday. I couldn't get over the number of people who contacted us to say, absolutely, if they can't form 
the numbers that are there, if they can't form a government between them, then go back to the people. Now, how different the result will be, I don't know. But uh, many people are saying, yeah, that they, they do want another election. How it would be organised in a pandemic, I don't know. 1850 Now, our political editor, Sean Defoe, spent time yesterday evening with the Taoiseach, Leah Varadkar, and he asked him if the government formation doesn't go ahead with these current talks. Could Sinn Féin get a majority in if there was another election? A lot of people in your party are talking about Sinn Féin and the, the two of you going into government completely opens the door for them at the next election um, to, to ride in with a majority. I mean, what do you make of that? I don't think that they'd get a majority. You know, no country has, no party has won a majority in, in my lifetime. Uh, so I don't think uh, they would win a majority. But there's certainly a risk that they could strengthen their position, uh, gain seats um, and uh, become by far and away the largest party. That is a real risk and we have to be wise to that. Uh, that's why we have to govern well. Uh, and that's why we have to look after the identity of our party and government uh, if we decide um, to enter government, and I hope we will. Um, but people also need to think of the counterfactual. Like if, for example, the members of my party, Fine Gael, decide to vote this down, um, we may end up pushing Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin together and we could have a Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin government within weeks. Uh, and that's not an achievement. You know, I know there may be some people who... Um, think it'd be a great thing for Sinn Féin to get into government, wreck the country and in five years' time the people will be sorry and they'll vote for Fine Gael again. I don't think that would be an achievement. I'd rather make sure that that doesn't happen. What is, or is there a plan B if there isn't a yes vote on Friday? Um, To be frank, there isn't. Uh, And I know, you know, there are some people in my party who are uh, counselling me and advising me to have a plan B on the shelf. Um, And I decided not to do that because we entered these coalition talks in good faith uh, with Fianna Fáil and the Greens. It's a way to give us a stable majority government, a government that will last a full term through to 2025, and also a government that has democratic legitimacy. The three parties together won 51% of the vote in the election. I know there's a party out there that thinks 24.5% is a majority. It's not. Uh, 50 plus 1 is a majority, uh, and that's what we have. Um, And when I decided to enter those negotiations in good faith, I thought it would have been an act of bad faith to be uh, having a plan B um, on the shelf. So we, we don't have that. So it will precipitate... Um, a political crisis, quite frankly. Uh, and if um, if it is defeated, we'll have to sit down over the weekend and consider what the options are. And what about the idea, because there was a report, I think it was the Sunday Times, saying that if, if this doesn't get passed with yourselves, Fianna Fáil and the Greens, that you're not going to try and force it with independence, you're not going to try and force it with another party in Fianna Fáil. Is this essentially the deal? And if it isn't, you're possibly going to look at not being in government? Um, well, you know, we did look at not being in government. And when the election results came in, uh, it was a a narrow three-way finish among three parties but we decided as the outgoing government that we you know that we should step back and allow other parties to form a government um they weren't successful uh they failed to form a government um Sinn Féin despite their processations never really tried uh didn't even come up with a framework document with uh, the far left they voted for Mary Lou initially but they couldn't even agree a common policy among themselves so given that um you know the opposition and the left were Uh, so incapable of um, delivering on any of the promises they made. We felt, uh, as the party that always does what's right by the country, uh, does what's right by the nation, that we should step back in. And this is our uh, best attempt and perhaps only attempt to form a government. So you're not committed to to sticking with Fianna Fáil at all costs to try and form a government here? Um, the, 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 The short answer is no. 
Mm, interesting times ahead. I thought it was also uh, interesting to hear Leo Varadkar saying there isn't uh, a, a plan B. That was uh, Leo Varadkar speaking with our political correspondent Sean Defoe uh, yesterday evening and we await the Greens to see what the Greens are going to do. And says Patricia, if the Green Party uh, don't step up to the plate now during what is the state of an emergency during this current pandemic, it will be detrimental to them in the future. So there's Anne hoping that the Greens get their two-thirds majority and go into government. Uh, thank you for that, Anne. Oh, and I just want to give a mention to this young uh, Daniel O'Sullivan, the little boy whose 10th birthday is tomorrow. And uh, we've been talking over the last number of weeks because we spoke with his mum, Deirdre, about three weeks ago uh, when she launched this birthday card appeal for Daniel because he's a, an amazing little boy who wasn't expected to reach his 10th birthday. So it's a huge, huge milestone for him. And because we have a pandemic, they can't have a proper birthday party that they would have liked to have had for Daniel. So to cheer him up, she's launched this uh, birthday card appeal and he's receiving low of birthday cards which is terrific but today is your last day if you want to post a birthday card because tomorrow is Daniel's 10th birthday and actually we've made contact with Deirdre his mum and she's going to join us tomorrow because I just want to want to acknowledge the day that's in it tomorrow and also just to see what, how many cards did he actually get I don't know if she'll have an overall number on it but if you want to stick a card in the post to say happy birthday to little Daniel please do today your last day Daniel O'Sullivan 22 Meadow Green The Meadows Holly Hill 22 Meadow Green, the Meadows, Holly Hill, uh, Cork. Get it in the post today, uh, please, so that he gets it in time for his 10th birthday tomorrow. On the Green Party and everybody waiting on what way the Green Party are going to vote with everybody saying the, the vote at this stage is too close to call with ballots already beginning to arrive at the Green Party uh, headquarters. Uh, Patricia, hi. It is all fine for the Green Man and I'm assuming this is Eamon Rhyme to be cycling around the place and cycling to and from the Dáil every day when he needs to go to work but it costs me €70 a week just in fuel for me to go to work. I don't have the luxury of being able to cycle to and from work. While Eileen says Patricia, I think it's absolutely heartbreaking to listen to all the pressure that's been put on the Greens about going into government. There should be a total media blackout until the vote is taken. Let them all make up their own minds without coercion and I'd nearly go so far as Eileen is to say bullying I'm not a Green supporter, but I believe they should be given the space to fully consider the facts, says uh, Eileen. Well, the leaders of the Green Party themselves, the ones that are in favour of coalition, they are really pushing their membership. I mean, Eamon Ryan, who I mentioned cycling to work, I mean, he's come out very strong in favour of this programme for government and he really wants to see the Greens uh, in power and even only last night they had one of those these webinars on online and they had the Hollywood actor Mark Ruffalo as part of what was the final push to try to get the support of the membership for the programme uh, for government so you know when I heard Mark Ruffalo was coming out supporting the Greens I was thinking oh they really are bringing the big, the big boys out here but it will be up to each individual uh, Green the members of the Green Party, uh, they have a very different way, uh, different to all of the other parties. They're the only party that asks the members and the members on the ground, any card-carrying member of the Greens has a vote. I think it works out about 3,500 people, but they've got a vote and they have to have two-thirds 
of that membership have to agree if they are to go into government or not. That's why everyone is saying it is too close to call. 1850-333-103 and Mary says, uh, Patricia, when is the Charleville NCT Centre reopening or do you know? I don't know. Uh, we know it didn't reopen in the... They've, they were, they've started opening NCT centres on a phased basis. It was from the 8th of June that they reopened. For us here in Cork, there's only two centres opened. It's the one in Little Island in Cork and the one in Blarney. They are the only two open and there's no word I've just checked on the NCT website and there's no word of them opening any of the other centres. As of now, it is still only those two centres for Cork, Little Island and Blarney. We will keep a close eye on it though for you, Mary. And if it does come to light, when it Open, so we'll bring it to you. Uh, 1850 333 103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls this morning. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 encourages you to shop local during COVID 19. Some stores can now open safely, so let's do our shopping locally. Use Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to search for hashtag shop local and check to see what Cork businesses are now open. Check to see what Cork businesses are now open. It's a sign of the time. Get everything you need from toys to toilet roll and groceries to gardening. Support your neighbours, friends and communities and shop local. It's a sign of the time. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, a Cork family business looking after you in this time of need. CMIG.ie Shop local with C103. Now, up to half of all restaurants could close unless they are given an emergency bailout by the state. That's according to the Restaurants Association of Ireland, where I'm joined by their chief executive, Adrian Cummins. Good morning to you, Adrian. Good morning. And, and you're welcome. Now, we, we've already spoken on this programme to some small cork restaurants that have already decided to permanently close. They're not reopening next week. Is that being reflected all over the country? Well, first of all, we're six days away from reopening so um, we welcome that we have an opportunity to open. The problem that we have now is that the package of measures that are in place for us which is maximum of a €10,000 grant is far from sufficient to try and help businesses through this economic crisis and what we've done is we've spelled out very clearly what's required to support our sector otherwise you'll see every second restaurant right across every village, town and city in this country uh, closing down. Um, I've, I just feel that the the level of support isn't there at the moment. And, uh, and unless we get these these this package of, emer- of measures in the July stimulus, which has been uh, proposed by the government, um, I fear for a lot of businesses, not just in our industry, but right across small businesses, and it has to be remembered, Adrian, that this is a sector that employs a lot of people. Yes, that's correct. In, in restaurants and cafes and across the, across the country, we have 120,000 people working in our industry. Uh, that's a lot of people. Obviously, everybody has to eat. Um, and uh, with the decline in tourism to effectively zero from international tourists, we need to, we need to focus in on the domestic market. Uh, and we also need to support the jobs in towns and villages. So if you look back to the last crisis, we were uh, able to fast-track employment. We took a lot of people on very fast, very quickly, um, and we're a labour-intensive uh, sector as well. And then on the other side, other side of it is that 
uh, 50%, you have 50% youth unemployment at the moment, mm. and you have uh, unemployment running at over 22%. So our sector is very, is well equipped to take a live registered job. The problem that we have is that we're not getting the support from the government to help us do that. And when you, when you pay, take somebody off the live register, you're, you're effectively saving the, go- the government money because they don't have to pay in social welfare and, and, they don't, and there is a collection of employment taxes uh, when they come to, when they work with an employer. So the big things that we require is the continuation of the wage supplement scheme for industry. At we the moment, that. that's their government are saying what, that that will last until August. That's August. not, that's not long it's, enough for, for your not, industry. Not long, no, not, 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 long, long, not long enough at all. And we also need, because we're starting next Monday, we need the temporary workers that are seasonal workers uh, in many rural parts of Cork and many rural parts of Ireland that need that need that money to help them through the autumn and the winter. We need them to be allowed under the temporary wage supplement scheme. Otherwise, they'll be they will stay on unemployment because they won't be brought back. Uh, and then finally, we need to look at um, uh, the we need to look at uh, the area of. Um, of uh, that reduction for our industry because, well, obviously at the moment, there's no cash flow at the moment, but when cash flow starts to, to move forward, we need to help businesses around cash flow and that reduction is something that we're looking for as well. And then the, ma- the other major issue, and a lot of your listeners will, will uh, that have rented properly, pro- commercial mm. rented property, is that rents, the, it's the one area that we've we've seen no movement at all, and no what we would call burden sharing, where the landlords will need to take a every, everybody needs to share the pain in this crisis. The landlords, banks uh, need to step up to the plate here and come on board and and uh, give some sort of a. Of, uh, of of reduction in rent right across the board. There's a, there was a really good model coming out of France, isn't there? There is, yeah. And that's where the government would st- step in and give some support to the landlords. Uh, support, and then the banks as well would have a part of playing because landlords probably have to pay a mortgage on a property. Yeah. But the banks need to look at this as well. Or else you'll have a... Is, it, hospitality and retail, it really, really affects and we, if we this, if something ha- doesn't happen, you'll have a tsunami of closures, and it won't be just hospitality; it'll be retail as well. Yeah, and of course, the knock-on when a restaurant closes—it's not just the restaurant. It's and particularly when it's in a small area, they buy from the local producer, so the local butcher shop loses out, the greengrocer loses out. Exactly, and everybody, this is a this is a lose-lose, or it can be a win-win. So a lose-lose means that their suppliers are hit. Your jobs are lost, businesses go, towns will, will you know, you'll, you'll lose the social fabric within a town. So restaurants and cafes now will become the new social outlet because people will come in, sit in and sit down. Um, uh, obviously, you will have social distancing in place. We have a position now through our lobbying efforts that we've got it reduced to one metre, which allows us to actually open um, uh, our doors. On two metres, it wasn't viable for us to open. So we are in a better position now. Now to try and try and um, try and moving forward. So I'm I'm hoping that um, our our sector will be supported uh, by the government into the future. Just on the 
the new rules and regulations, the hundred with the ninety minutes that went to one hundred and five um, uh, minutes. It, are your, your members happy with that, Adrian? Um, it's not the guidelines are not perfect, and uh, everybody knows that they are only guidelines. Yeah, they're not the law. And as the Taoiseach said last Friday, the public have to have their own have their own responsibility now as well. So is there going to be somebody going in with a stopwatch checking people how long are they staying in the premises? Yeah. That's, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. That's not going to happen. But people need to have their own responsibility and do the right thing. And if we if we everybody plays our part, and, you know, the, the, the slogan is we're all in this together. Mm. Well, we're all in this together. And the public have to be part of this as well. So, you know, if you feel that you need to be you should be, you shouldn't be in a premises longer than an hour and five minutes. That's your responsibility. It's not we're not tying you to the table or tying you to the chair. Um, but I think there's a lot of people are getting hung up over the little minute details in it. Yeah. Let's get on and get 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 our businesses open, and get on and trying to employ people and get people back to work, and do it safely. The only part of of the return to work guidelines that I, that is law and rightly so is a return-to-work protocols to protect our staff. And that has to happen, and must happen. And um, I think if we all do the right thing and try and play our part in this, nobody wants to see the packed premises. Uh, people, as the Minister for Health said, but I think we will want to provide a quality of good quality food, good ambience in a safe environment for our staff and our customers. That's what we want to do. Mary, one of our listeners, says the main reason the restaurants are closing down is because of high rent, high drink prices and high VAT. If they want people to do staycation, all of the prices need to be lowered. You mentioned a reduction in VAT, uh, Adrian. Would you go, you're actually going so far as to call for a zero rate? We are, yeah. Now, eyebrows are raised because we're looking for a zero rate, but it must happen. Like The rule book has been changed here. Um, you know, we, we people have said to us, you can't do it, it's against European rules. Well, I'm, I'm, I say back to them, we were told we could never um, nationalise our private healthcare system yeah. it overnight. Yeah, yeah. So let's just, let's everybody just take a, take a deep breath and just say, where there's a will, there's a way and where we must do things, we should do things. And when we, with regard to VAT, and we're not looking for this forever in a day, what we're looking for it is in just this emergency period until we get to next year bring it to zero and bring it to zero for for food anyway at least uh, because it's the most labour intensive bring it to zero and then we'll review it in, uh, tw- in, in 2021 yeah, and of course nobody knows what's going to happen when the restaurants uh, open I mean is there going to be like the big rush that there was for the retail sector um, some people might be nervous about going to a restaurant well I put it this way, our internal data that we have is that there is a demand out there. Is there 100% demand? No, there's not. Is there a demand, 6 out of 10 people want to go to a restaurant? Yes, there is. There's 40% that don't want to go to, don't, don't want to, go to a restaurant. Well, we'll take the 60% and we'll try and do our best uh, with that 60% that wants to go. Yeah. And I do, and you probably have a lot of millennials listening at the moment that's the cohort of people that needs to let's just say they need to probably step up to the plate now because um, 
what we've seen in other European countries is the older generation have been more fearful about going to restaurants uh, and the millennials have been very much flouting the, the rules uh, in other European countries. So I think if we can all work together and have a mutual respect for each other, and we have done really, really well over the last um, three months. We're actually 101 days closed, our industry. Is it, that, uh, is it 101 days? It's 101 days today. Wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and we've come a long way and we're doing well. And as you keep saying, we're all, we're all in this together. And Lucy says, does Adrian worry about restaurants in the tourism areas? They're the ones who are going to suffer the most with no overseas visitors this year. I really, really worry for those uh, businesses that are in tourism areas. And that's why the seasonal worker, temp- temporary worker scheme, t- temporary wage supplement scheme, I should say, for seasonal workers is a must that needs to be, needs to be get effective or enacted for those workers. Uh, and those, like, there has to be, a, everybody needs to wear the green jersey this year. And obviously, if you can't go to Spain or you can't go to on a sun holiday, you should explore Ireland and, and, and look at uh, different parts of Ireland and take little mini breaks or take, I think employers need to need to look at this as well, where, you know, like, we, we, we feel that the re- school's reopening should happen in September, not in, uh, in August. We also think there's, a, there's for once off an extra bank holiday weekend in, in at the end of August, so they finish up the the tourism season mm-hmm. essentially, and then also we need to look at how do we extend the tourism season in certain areas. And I think you know there is a lot of good people trying to come up with innovative ways, um, and I think now is the time that everybody should try and explore our island and explore counties that I've never been to before. Well said. Um, well so said. That's what I, that's and, what I, and, and don't forget to support your local restaurant. Your local restaurant. They've absolutely. been, you know, there. Yeah. Get, get, yeah. get out there. Listen, um, Adrian, we want to wish everybody the best of luck with the reopening on uh, Monday. Thank you for joining us and uh, talking to us on the programme, though, today. Thank you very much. Thank Good you morning much. to Happy you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Adrian Cummins there, who is the chief executive of the Restaurant Association of Ireland in advance of restaurants reopening from next Monday, the 29th of June. As I say, best of luck to all of the local restaurants. It's been a tough, tough uh, time for them. And if we can all do our bit and get out and support them, 1850. Three 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 one zero three. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. We've just launched a brand new radio station exclusively online. C one zero three anthems. To listen to C103 Anthems, download our phone app, ask your smart speaker, or go to c103.ie. C103 Anthems. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. NCT started back up on a phase basis from the 8th of uh, June and that's as much of an update that I can find on their website 
But John has contacted us to say Charleville NCT is definitely reopening, uh, but there's a month's waiting list on it. He's managed to book online, but he needed his air code in order to book. Okay, so let us just double check with Charleville NCT and the other NCT centres around Cork just to see how the others are opening as well. So we'll get back to you on that. Now, during lockdown, many people use the time to spring clean homes and garden sheds. Now there's a danger that some people may not dispose of their electrical waste in a correct manner. So calling on everyone to act responsibly is We Ireland. And joining me there, Chief Executive uh, Leo Donovan. Good morning to you, Leo. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, And you are welcome to the programme. Now, civic amenity sites uh, closed during lockdown. Did that present a problem for people that they literally had nowhere, nowhere to go to drop off their items? Yeah, well, there was two challenges, I think, happened during the shutdown, which was really the limiting people limited to their two kilometres and then later kind of five kilometre radius. Uh, So they may not have been uh, in an area where they can bring back their electrical waste. The two main areas you can bring back your electrical waste to is your local authority recycling centre or your local electrical retailer. Now, the electrical retailers were closed for the six weeks uh, during the, 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 the deepest part of the shutdown. And then uh, they have reopened uh, and they are now taking back their uh, electrical appliances. But during the shutdown, uh, the electrical retailers were still doing online sales and they were still taking back the electrical appliances when they delivered new appliance uh, to that person. Well, that's good uh, to hear. Yeah, so, and if it was a situation where you weren't able to do it, then you can get back onto your retail and see will they come and, and, and collect that material, or you can bring it back to your seaside, or bring it back to retailer. The great thing about the retailers is that they don't require a purchase. You can just come up to the retailer during opening hours and bring back an electric appliance. As long as our retailer is selling a similar type electrical appliance, uh, then they're willing to accept back uh, large appliances and in particular small appliances. Like your kettles and your toasters and your hair dryers. I, I, I think a lot of people though, Leo, are unaware that you can go into a shop, an electrical shop and hand in an item. I think people assumed, oh, it has to be, if I'm buying a new kettle, then I can bring back the old one. But that's not the case. Yeah, the, the retailers have been very supportive in the take back of, of we and uh, they have been kind of, I suppose, the backbone of our collection program uh, and they really changed their whole ethos and, and outlook back in 2014 where they kind of opened their doors and so this is a, an excellent customer service uh, that their customers obviously like the option to be able to bring back electrical waste uh, and now they will take all electrical waste back into the so there's so your message is there is no excuse for not disposing of it responsibly and there's certainly no excuse for dumping Leo yeah, like it's free take back, you know. So again, when you go to your local authority site, if you tell the person at the gate uh, that you have, if you've only got electrical appliances in your car, uh, then they will allow you in free of charge. So we have a free take back service for electrical waste at the local authority site. And a similar situation with the retail, obviously, that they will take it back from you free of charge. So yeah, there's no natural gain or no reason why anybody should be illegally uh, dumping this material. I, I do appreciate during the, the big shutdown, some local authorities were closed, not all, but mm. some local authority sites were closed and there was a little bit of flight tipping going on at, at that particular time and I did see some electrical appliances there. But now what we're saying to people that the local authority sites are open and actually we're now seeing a, a, a great kind of uh, up take on uh, the facilities there and actually there's a lot of material now beginning to come back 
because two things are happening as well. Our best recyclers tend to be kind of the more mature, kind of older generation. And, you know, they were really looking after themselves during the shutdown. Now some of them are beginning to come out now. And I was just on a couple of recycling centres there yesterday myself. uh, And I noticed that people are now coming out and bringing their old appliances uh, back for recycling. So, look, the the recycling centres are there. You don't have to be there today or tomorrow. Uh, but uh, do please make the effort to come back to the local authority cycle. And they're great. Though the, and the people that work in those centres are just so helpful and kind to people. They they, they really are terrific. And before lockdown, uh, Leo, um, how good were we at recycling our electrical waste? Yeah, we, we set up the scheme 15 years ago and we have really improved very dramatically. At the start 15 years ago, we had this target of 4 kg per head of population. We're now doing 11 kg per head of population. So that's been a tremendous increase. And uh, just even last year, we had a 15% increase on the small appliances that come back to us. So people really have to make the effort for the smaller appliances, like you mentioned there, the hair dryers and the uh, the hair clippers that we're all using now at the moment, <laughs> uh, to, to, to bring those back, you know, bring back to the retailers and, and the local authority sites. And, and that's really where we need to improve our collection. But we're lying in kind of second place to the likes of Switzerland at the moment, if you had a league table uh, of electrical take back for household electrical waste. So we're doing very well as a nation. You know, and in particular in Cork, there's a tremendous kind of, in the southern part of the country, uh, great performance. Uh, and you have great facilities down there. I think you've got the most populated uh, county for, for local authority uh, recycling centres. So, so credit to that. Um, Bar- Barbara, one of our listeners, says she often wonders what happens to the item when they are, when you bring them back for recycling, what actually happens to the item? Yeah, we're very fortunate here uh, that over the last 15 years, we've built up an indigenous uh, recycling uh, centres. Uh, we have uh, two or three SMEs, family-owned SMEs, small, medium-sized enterprises. Uh, and they have developed technology for recycling of these materials. So when we bring back the materials, they come back to the likes of Tullamore and Atai, and uh, we break down the materials and we recover 82% of the material that we take back, goes back into raw materials. That's metals, copper, aluminium, glass, products like that. And just to give you a flavour, if we, of all the metal that we recycled last year, we could have built three Eiffel Towers. Oh. Uh, that's the volume of material that we're doing it. And we did around about 450,000 large appliances. So if we were in Crow Park, we would have filled that six times over. So there's a big volume of material. We do about 17,000 collections uh, a year. So it's a big exercise. We bring them to our local uh, recycling centre. So we've got great local employment. If I look at the programme for government, it's looking at two main things, which is obviously creating employment, uh, particularly rural employment, and then also the climate action plan and reducing the CO2 emissions. And by us recycling all this material, not only are we getting raw material back into uh, reproduction, but we're actually saving 225,000 tonnes of CO2 uh, emissions. So that would be the equivalent of having a carbon sink of around about 4,500 hectares covered in trees. So it's really a win. win. Absolutely, absolutely. Long may it continue. Listen, Leo, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. 
Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Leo Donovan, who is the chief executive of We uh, Ireland, reminding us all to please recycle electrical goods. We've got to take a break. And on the way, we'll take a look at some of your calls and comments uh, coming into the programme. And in the next hour, we're going to remember the late uh, Cameron Blair, who would have celebrated his 21st birthday last week. And also, we're going to speak with what Mass will look like when churches uh, reopen for religious services next Monday. We're moving in the right direction, but it can be tough to focus on the positives in our day-to-day lives during COVID-19. Practicing mindfulness and making an effort to stay positive as much as possible can be helpful. Mindfulness is a useful way of helping us to stay in the present moment. It helps us to focus on the here and now, allowing us to be aware of our thoughts and worries rather than getting lost in them. Mindfulness also encourages you to focus on your health, which can help reduce stress and tension that you may be feeling. If that's not for you, you could focus on something as simple as the feeling of your feet on the floor. Mindfulness can be practiced in pretty much any situation, so find a way that suits you. There are plenty of online resources and apps you can download to help you practice. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I can see a lot of commentary uh, coming in about the formation of a new uh, government and will the Greens vote to uh, go into government with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and I'll get to those comments but I want to go to the phone lines first where Breda in Mill Street joins me. Uh, good morning to you Breda. Good morning, Patricia. You're, Thanks for having me on. Well, you're, you're welcome. You know, you want to bring up the issue of the funeral at the weekend of Detective oh, Garda, yes. uh, Colm Horkin, who was just tragically uh, shot last week. And you're worried about the funeral and the image it portrayed. Yes, it, it gives a very, very bad impression to young people, to everybody. And very sad for those people that have buried people and have had her only 10 or so at the funeral or less, and doing the distancing. And then again, everybody has been doing their best. But this, this looked very bad. The size of the funeral? Yeah. The size of the funeral. And there were people sitting on a place like an arena, in the GA grounds or something, and they were all sitting close together. And yeah. then they come along and tell young people they can't have parties. Young people will do what they want to do, no? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I saw the, I mean, I know for the family, they only had, they had 25 inside in the church because that's the, that's the rule. And they stuck with that. And then they relayed the mass, the, what you're talking about, they related it to the, to the local GAA club. And then yeah. I know every guard the station in the country had it on. It was online as, uh, as well. Um, yes, all but, that was fine. But was, but was, but was it not a case, it was, it was as if a nation mourned his loss. It was, and we all agree with that. It was a dreadful thing and we feel so sorry for his family and friends, etc. But the distancing there was dreadful with all the people there. And who, who do you, who do you lay the blame at then, the, the individuals themselves? I think the a gar- lot of it. Yes, a lot of it to the individuals. But then again, shouldn't somebody have been looking out, watching over that for the day, looking, you know, keeping the distance and that with people? The member, the guardie themselves who were there? 
Well, someone that wouldn't have been working, maybe. That would have been working. And that could see that the distances were kept. I suppose there were too many people there to well I, well, I know the Gardaí themselves were told all around the country not to attend. And and because of that, we had yes. some really very, very dignified services at Garda stations all over the country. And certainly social distancing went on. Yes, um, I saw that on, when they showed some of the stations. Yeah, but I, 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 I don't know, I breathe that I... I I'm slow, and I know the point that you're trying to make, but I just think the fact that this was a country, I think a country coming together and grieving, that I think that's what the display was more than anything. Just stay there, Gronia's on on three, is it John Paul? Three. Um, I wants to get in on this debate. Um, good morning to you, Gronia. Good morning, Patricia. How are you doing? I, I'm 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 well. I'm I'm struggling on this one with with Breather because I, while I can see what she's saying, I just think for that moment in time. I mean, I, I certainly didn't look at it and think the whole country is going to start coming out well, to I'll mass funerals. No, I'll tell you something now, Patricia. I'm not struggling with him. I am extremely angry. Extremely angry. I mean, how dare she come on the phone and and bad mouth and and whinge. You know, I, I, I just, I don't understand her meaning behind it. I mean, there was an outpouring of grief for this man who lost his life for the country, right? He, looking after the general public, it, it was just, it was absolutely horrific. And fair play to everybody who turned up on the day, and I'd have gone up myself if it was possible. You know, I mean, it was, it was so heart-wrenching just to watch that funeral on television. It, it, it was surreal. You know, it really was. And I think that woman has an awful lot to answer. She should go in, say her rosaries or do whatever. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a disgrace. I mean, that there was an outpouring of grief, and rightly so, you know. Breather? Well, there's an outpouring of grief with everybody that buries someone. And we do feel very sad about that guard, really do. But that display was gave a very bad impression. I know they're only rules, they're not laws. But it did give a very bad impression and lots of people are very upset over it. John in, in Cove agrees with you, Brida. He says, well, we have huge sympathy for Cullum's uh, family. It was the lawmakers who were not doing the social distancing, i.e. the Gardaí. So it was the lawmakers who broke the law to suit themselves. But when it's an ordinary person uh, dies, we wouldn't be able to have a crowd like that right. um, at the uh, funeral. Uh, I mean, I, I think, Gronia, and I can see some other texts coming in on this. Uh, Gronia, I think that's what people are saying, that it was almost like it's one, it was one rule because he was a member of Vanguard the Shia Kona. But would you think that's all the more reason why there should have been a big number there? No, I, I, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, I think it was, a, it was a good display of support and loyalty. And I think he definitely deserved it. And, uh, you know, like, I mean, I won't say that all this COVID thing is gone OTT, but some people, I mean, you know, the the, the fight of God has been put into their hearts. Uh, and, you know, but I certainly uh, would not disagree with what happened on Sunday. I think it was absolutely, it was uh, an outstanding display of grief, of 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 
you know, of, of support, of loyalty, and everybody who saw it and who followed it on television was absolutely you know, blown away with it. it was, and it was I have to say, thousands of people did stay away, including all the Gardaí from around the country. Normally, when any of their colleagues dies like that, there would have been many, many more thousands of Gardaí would have, would have travelled, but they all stayed in their local divisions because they were asked uh, to do it. Marion Kinsale says, Breathe is right. I was watching it. The crowds were on top of each other. While we are all here cocooning over the last number of months, I thought it was wrong for there to have been such large groups of uh, people. I think Breathe is right. People need to look at everything from a perspective. It was an outpouring of uh, grief but they should have remained in their uh, local Garda stations. Uh, okay. Alright. But it was absolutely, it was just such a, such a sad uh, funeral and I think Gronje, you're right. I do think, I think a nation grieved absolutely for him and, and his family. It, yeah, it was a state funeral, you know. And it, it was it was bound to be a big one and well supported. And obviously, all his colleagues from close by and from the 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 um, the the the, uh, the, the <coughs> stations that were close by, like you know, um, they would all have come out in 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 support. Um, no, I had, I had no problem with it, but I'm just angry at at you know the the, the response from some people uh, that there's one law for the other and one you know. Well, I can I see by the text coming in, there's there's a split down the middle. Ruth says I don't think anyone is saying that the nation shouldn't grieve at the loss of uh, Detective Horgan, but COVID nineteen won't make any distinction between a mass gathering or a, straight, a state funeral or any other mass uh, gathering. And uh, the girls in Mornabi uh, says the crowd was absolutely crazy at that. Funeral funeral. It shouldn't have been allowed to go ahead. Okay. Uh, we leave it there. Listen, ladies, thank you for that. Thank you both uh, for thank joining us. Uh, Breathe in Mystery and also to uh, Gronia, uh, 1850-333-103. And as I say, I can see a kind of a, a mixed reaction uh, coming in on it, but let's not uh, take, let's not take, I don't think anybody would take from uh, the loss of that uh, lovely um, detective guard who uh, lost his life protecting us all. Uh, 1850-333-103 Can I go back to comments on the Green Party and Eamon Ryan and what's happening with the Green Party and are we going to have a government uh, formation? This is by email to Patricia at C103.ie. Last time Eamon Ryan was in government, he went on a cycling holiday and he had a ministerial car driving after him with him and his family and their luggage. He's telling us now we must cut greenhouse gases. What is it all about? Uh, also coming in on just, this is on the video, their little email little interview, sorry, that we played earlier with Leo Varadkar with Sean Devoy, our political editor, yesterday evening. Some people reacting on that, not too happy with Leo Varadkar. Hi Patricia, just listened to what I felt was a very arrogant interview by Leo Varadkar on your programme and I quote, he said, Sinn Féin would ruin the country as if his party has done such a great job. The people voted for change and that's what the people should get and that's from Antoinette in Ahabolic. Hi Patricia, a word to Eileen who spoke about the Green Party being bullied into making a decision. Well, if you're going to go down the line of bullying, surely the Sinn Féin party were bullied by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael when they wouldn't talk to them because exclusion is also a form of bullying, even though the people voted in massive numbers for Sinn Féin. How can we afford the Greens? Are they for real? It's too dangerous to walk, not alone to cycle where I uh, live. 
Hi, uh, Patricia. The interview with Leo Varadkar, I felt, was arrogant, considering a huge majority of the electorate voted for change. I hope the Green Party don't support a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael-led government. Simon Harris has been targeted to remain on as health minister. A new election would be great if that is what the country has to look forward to for the next five years. And Michael says, Hi, Patricia. Saturday evening as the nation holds its breath, awaiting the results of the Green vote, a negative result that will plunge the country into a snap general election. A positive vote will see an immediate government put together which is of utmost importance especially with the very important legislation that has to be enacted. Fianna Fáil do not have a mandate to negotiate with Sinn Féin. Would they have to go to a special Ardesh if they did go down that road? At this moment in time I don't see any reason as to why a general election cannot be held. It's no different from what happened in 1981. All this talk that the President would not dissolve the doll is utter rubbish. Who asked him? Who did he tell? Nobody knows what's in the President's mind. He will act according to the Constitution, not according to loose tongues. Is there somebody trying to bring the President into a political debate? No, thank you. That will not happen, says Michael, because Michael D. Higgins is a wise man and he won't be drawn in on that rubbish, thanking you. And that's from Michael. Actually, Michael D. Higgins is a quote in the examiner. Well, it's not from Michael D. Higgins. The Irish examiner uh, got on to a spokesperson for Michael D. Higgins who says, and this is a quote, uh, President Michael D. Higgins is aware of the powers of the President as outlined in Bonrock the Heron and, and their exercise in an absolute discretion as indicated in the Constitution and indeed the literature and the exercise of such powers. While he is following events as they unfold it would not be appropriate for the President to participate in any speculation as to how such events might evolve and the constitutional matters that might arise. Spokesperson added the President has had no discussion on constitutional or political matters as they may be unfolding with those to whom you refer to in your queries. You're right. (laughs) President Michael Higgins has never come out and said that he will dissolve that he won't dissolve the doll. That's coming from political sources Sources mainly, can I say, from what I can see in the papers, mainly from political sources within Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. 1850 333 103. John Ball and Sadie are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Classic windows there in Kilmurray. They are looking for an experienced window fitter. That's for an immediate start. A bicycle mechanic slash sales advisor that's wanted for cycle scene. That's the bike shop in uh, Blarney Street in Cork. While Cronin Electrical, they're looking for a qualified electrician. And Maria Goretti Nursing Home, that's in Kilmallock, are looking for a chef for part-time relief work and holiday cover. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. Delighted to be back and there's lovely atmosphere here and it's lovely to get out again. When you're at home on a farm, that's it, like you, you're pretty much in isolation. <laughs> anyway, so like the market is a great outlet for us and we just love it. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold's Post Calver Gold, a trusted partner for your peace of mind across the breeding season. Only on C103. Now, last January, we woke to the shocking story of the death of a young Cork student at a house party on the Bandon Road in Cork City. Cameron Blair, a native of Ballinascarthy, died at Cork University Hospital from stab wounds inflicted by a 17-year-old. To acknowledge what would have been Cameron Blair's 
21st birthday. His friend James McCarthy from Bandon has written an amazing blog so people can get to know who Gam- Cameron Blair was and uh, James McCarthy joins me. Good morning to you, James. Good morning. Now, uh, I have to say, I, I, I didn't know and I, I didn't know uh, Cameron, but your blog has given such a great insight into who this young man was and, and the essence of uh, Cameron. W- was was that your plan when you sat down to write it? Yeah, I mean, um, the fact that it was his birthday last Thursday, you know, I wanted to come up with some way of paying tribute to Cameron. Um, and I suppose the best fitting way was to give people a sense of the Cameron that I knew. Um, Cameron, having passed away at such a young age, I suppose he didn't get the chance to meet everybody um, that he was probably set to meet. Um, but... He was such a great guy, you know, I felt that his memory had to be, had to live on. And, you know, people had to really get a sense of the kind of guy he was, not just, you know, the name, to actually give a sense of the person he was and his personality and stuff. Well, you've absolutely achieved that. You 100% nailed it. Now, and to talk a little bit about Cameron, what you, you're both, you know, you live quite close. You're both West Cork lads, he banned Nascarte, you banned But you only met Cameron when you went to CIT and you were actually ahead of him. Yeah, um, I mean, as you said, we lived fairly close to each other back home, but I suppose he would have been slightly younger than me. Um, he would have been about two years younger than me. So I had heard of Cameron, no doubt, um, you know, through his, his athletic achievements, through running and rugby and stuff like that. And, you know, I'd, I'd have heard his name through friends, but it was really when I came, when he joined um, Cork Institute of Technology, it was really then when I met him on campus. And it was actually through a friend, and I suppose as I described in the blog, like his personality and stuff was so infectious, his, his attitude towards life, you know, it was hard to not get on with Cameron. So I think we just kind of gelled in and we just, the friendship built on um, over the years. How would you describe him to to people who'd never met him? Um, it's hard to describe Cameron because, you know, he's so much going from, but I suppose the best way to describe him is he was a confident and extremely caring person. Um, and he was a he was a real leader, you know. Um, he was the kind of person that he'd walk into a room and he, you'd instantly feel his presence in the room, you know, his his positive outlooks on things. And he was always looking out for people, you know. If there was somebody quiet in the room or something like that, he'd he'd go over, you know, without making an issue. It wouldn't kind of make sure they're okay and trying to get them involved and stuff, you know. He was, um, I suppose, he was a very conscious person to his surroundings all the time. Um, I think I said in the blog somewhere that, like, I truly believe that, like, he lived his life, you know, trying to make other people happy, as happy as he was. Um, but he was a scholar as well in, in, in college. He was an athlete. He was a real all-rounder. Um, yeah, and he know ticked. Probably said a lot, you know, like he ticked all of the boxes, as you say. You know, academically, he was brilliant. Sports-wise, he was uh, brilliant. Uh, he was a very handsome young man. So a big hit with the ladies? A big hit with the ladies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't really brag about it or anything like that, but as you could probably see from the photos, you know, he was he was extremely he was tall and his personality as well, as I said, like, you know, he was um he was high in demand, that he was a popular guy to be around, um in all respects. And you write in the blog about uh, you know, spending almost every evening at one two two. That was the house number. Yeah, that was just our college accommodation house. Um Cameron actually wasn't living in that house, but our friendship with Cameron became so close that he used to call over every day, you know, we'd walk back to the house or back to the apartment and kind of, you know, just spend the evenings there after going to the gym or things like that. And I suppose that was 
that was how we became so close, you know, doing the small things like the day-to-day activities, and, you know, when you're sitting around the sitting room just watching TV and stuff, like the chat, the chats get going and things get deep and stuff, you know, and you really get to know people then. And one of his favourite days, as it is for a lot of students, is when all the students get on the bus and come to Mallow to go to the races. Yeah, Mallow race day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was Cameron's first race, Lacey, so he was kind of basing his, his expectations of what we were telling him. So he was so excited for it, you know, he was extremely excited. I remember saying he actually came over, I think it was around half a day in the morning, and we were all still in bed. He came and he woke us up, you know, trying to get everybody up to get ready and get dancing and stuff like that. He was um he was a ball of energy everywhere he went really, but that was uh, one of our, our latest and I suppose fondest memories with him of a big event like that, you know. And you've got all the gorgeous photographs of everybody dressed up. Yeah, yeah. all the photos. Yeah. The, yeah. the the story about the jacuzzi. It, now this is a very typical student story. Okay, who tell me about the jacuzzi and, and how that came about. So we had just moved into our house and um, it was the first week that we'd just moved in. So it was kind of before college begun and one of the lads had bought a a jacuzzi, you know, one of those kind of portal ones you could take up. And and, um, so he brought it up and we, excuse me, we decided to set it up. Um, And then it was, I think it was a Saturday night, me and Cameron were looking at the jacuzzi. We were about to fill it up and we kind of realised that there was no outdoor tap or hose, you know, just a college house, like, you know, there wasn't any... I mean, he's like, that's what we, we were saying. How are we going to do it? Um, the jacuzzi we were lucky enough was just there, maybe within two or three metres of our kitchen window. Yeah. Um, and we remember that there was hoovers and vacuums and stuff like that in the shed. So we went out and we kind of dismantled the the hoovers and vacuums that were broken and we kind of created a hose of sorts from the kitchen tap <laughs> out into the jacuzzi and just, we held us together. We held the four of them together and we were at full reach, you know, holding them up. And I suppose at the start it was a great idea and when we were half an hour, 40 minutes in and we realised that we were going to have to hold these in place. In place <laughs> Until the we jacuzzi filled. <laughs> it filled up but we got there in the end. How long did the jacuzzi last in the garden? Um, I mean we only set it up I think it was a Saturday night and we took it down again around lunchtime the Sunday. Oh. Um, so not long oh. at all. It was oh, all that work. <laughs> yeah, it was short-lived. <laughs> and James Cameron's family he he did he used to talk a lot about his family yeah Cameron he used to always talk about his family um, as I said he lived up for college so you know he used to cherish going home on the weekends um, as I said his mom's famous cheese toasties that he used to always rave about them you know he'd say he can't he can't wait to go home lay down on the couch and get his mom to get a cheese toasty for him and he couldn't wait to talk to Alan and brother about just school and how he was getting on and stuff like that and then he'd go working with his father Noel on the Saturday so he he was a real family man as well he used to always talk about them you know Yeah God it's just so heartbreaking for, for his family and James his ambitions what, what, what did he want to do when he left college did he speak about that? We spoke a lot about kind of the future and stuff for Cameron and things like that but he never he never gave us a, a specific job title or, you know, role or something like that. He was always kind of, his main aim really was to be happy, you know, no matter what he was doing. But his intelligence and stuff like that in college, it was clear that he was going far. But um, his main aim was to just kind of love life, you know, and just take it as it, take it, as it comes and have fun. And no matter what he's doing, helping people out and stuff, you know, he's always kind of conscious of other people and their happiness as well. 
Uh, and the one thing, you know, when like Cameron jumps out of the pages of, of your blog and the one thing that really got, as I was finishing it, I was thinking, my God, the senselessness of knife crime and how this wonderful life uh, was was taken away. You you weren't there that night, um, James. How how did you hear that something had happened to Cameron? Um, so I was back home in Bandon and um, I suppose I got a text. There was a text in our group chat and they were just looking for Cameron's mother's number. And I'd been on to Cameron that night. We were just Snapchatting and stuff, you know, just talking. And I kind of knew there was something up then. So I Snapchatted Cameron's phone and I was just kind of, we were all trying to find out what, what was going on and things like that. We had no idea what had happened. Um, and then I suppose we were kind of waiting around for an hour and we'd heard nothing and we were kind of getting nervous, you know, we were saying, what's happening here? And then I suppose I saw it in the media first, to be honest. They had it out almost straight away. I'm not sure what one it was now, but I remember seeing a tweet on Twitter and I kind of wasn't, I wasn't ready to believe it or I kind of ignored it. You know, I was saying, oh, it can't be true. Like, you know, it's obviously a mistake now that the reporter's got something wrong here or something like that. And I suppose the news broke then around, I'm not sure what time now, it was probably like half 11 or quarter till or something when they properly found out. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I think I just, we just met up the lads uh, one of their houses in Bannon and we just kind of sat in the sitting room for hours on end to be honest until the next morning and it was I don't think we slept right for a couple of days you know it was so hard to believe it wasn't even the fact that we were in the grieving process it was we were in disbelief we were waiting for Cameron you know just waiting for Cameron to open a Snapchat and have replied well, saying you know oh, don't worry I'm out and stuff like that but I guess that never came so began to set in then and then to go through the funeral and and how tough those few days were for, for everyone. Yeah, exactly. It was extremely tough. I mean, even when if you saw the crew that was at the funeral, you know, there were so many young young people there and students there. And it was just, um, I suppose it really hit home then, you know. Um, everybody was just in despair on the day. Like, you know, it was extremely hard. Um, but there was such a big crowd came out. It really showed his, his popularity around West Cork. You know, the abandon was flooded with people. You know, everything shut down. Um, they gave him a guard of honour and stuff, you know. Um, so it was really nice. Everybody pulled together and, you know, stayed strong. That's great. Day, and so. that's great for his for his parents and his siblings just to, to see that outpouring of love. Definitely. I mean, I mean, like, the impact that Cameron had on people's lives was kind of displayed there, you know. They really got a sense of, you know, what he had done for people and the impact he left on people and the memories that people had shared with Cameron that will always live on with them, you know. And you wrote this blog because Cameron would have been 21 last Thursday. How, what did you and, and some of the friends do on the day to mark it? Um, so what we organised, uh, we kind of just said that, you know, what would we have done with Cameron if Cameron was still around? So obviously we would have spent the entire day and the night with Cameron. So we decided that we'd go down to visit his grave in kind of groups. So that, you know, there wasn't loads of people there all at one stage. So that we kind of, throughout the day, there was always a group of three or four maybe there with Cameron um, just to spend his birthday with him, you know, on the day. And so he wouldn't be on his own and stuff like that. Um, it was probably the best thing we could do. We weren't really sure, you know, how to approach it, you know. But um, that was what we went with anyway. What an incredible gesture. Yeah. Uh, and his 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 family. Have you kept in contact with his family, James? Yeah, I've kept in contact with his, with his parents, um, Cathy and all. Um, I mean, they've been great. You know, they've been they've they've been as best as they can be. Obviously, it's an absolute heartbreak for them. 
um, you know, losing their son and the eldest son and stuff. Um, but they've been great. They've been they've been welcoming us to the house and, you know, talk about it and, you know, talk about Cameron and memories we've had with him, which has been great because we've all had different memories with Cameron. So when, when we've met up together, you know, we've got it like we've got a sense of his childhood. And he, I mean, he's an extremely good childhood. Um, I hadn't really realised how many places his parents had bought him, brought him. Um, he experienced so much for his age, you know. So I thought that was just a small thing to take so, some some bit of solitude in the fact that you know he had travelled some of the world already with his parents. You know, he'd done so much, and they gave him everything he, he ever needed. You know, they were extremely good parents, and he learned so much from them. I think I said somewhere in the blog. Um, I mean, he was the perfect blend of the two. You know, he was he was a strong kind of you know tough guy, but at the same time, he was extremely caring and sensitive of both of which he got from his parents. You know, yeah, he lived a, um, a full life in a short life. He he certainly uh, packed in a, a lot. And I remember his his mom at the the victim impact statement of the court case. You know, talking about going into his bedroom and the empty bed and the unfinished book on the locker and the phone credit and the voucher, you know, a, a Christmas present that should never be used. I just remember being being very tearful reading her, her impact statement there. It's just, it's such a tough, tough thing for a family uh, to go through. It's it's incredible. And uh, James, he'll be forever young and you and the rest of the friends um, and his his beloved family will carry his memories uh, with you forever. Listen, the blog is, is un- unbelievable. Can we share the blog and our yeah, social media, course. yeah, just to, uh, and, and I encourage everyone to go and read it because it just, rather than Cameron Blair just being the name of that young boy who was tragically died because of knife crime, you know, let's let's get to understand and know a little bit about Cam. Cam, as you called him, wasn't it? Yeah. He was known Cam. as Cam. Yeah. Listen, uh, James, well done. Yeah, you're a credit to your own family as, as well. It's a, it's a beautifully, beautifully written piece. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks for having me on. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. James McCarthy there from uh, Bandon. As I say, we'll get the blog up on our social media uh, sites uh, later on just for, for people if you, if you haven't read it yet because it's, it's a stunning, stunning piece. Uh, and once again, we pass on our deepest, deepest sympathies uh, to Cameron's family in Ballinascarthy and uh, May Cameron. Rest in peace. And thank you to somebody who said, oh my God, what a, a boy to speak about his friend. This is uh, James McCarthy. I had to pull over in the car. I'm in floods of tears. Uh, well done. Cameron would be so proud of you, uh, James. Yeah, I have to say I was very emotional uh, listening to him as well. I think particularly when he spoke about what they did as a group of friends last Thursday, the fact that they all went down and in you know didn't go in a mass crowd. They respected social distancing uh, and all of that. And they... Uh, organised like a rota of friends so that Cameron wouldn't be on his own for his 21st. I just thought, goodness me, what a great bunch of uh, young people. And I, I imagine for Cameron's family, that must have been lovely to know what was going on at his graveside for what would have been a special day. He's 21st. He would have been with all of his friends and he would have been celebrating and enjoying himself and they didn't want him to be on his own. I thought that was an incredible, incredible act of kindness and an incredible act of friendship uh, as well. As I say, we will put the blog. The blog is just, I, I should have asked James, what did he do at college? Because it struck me as, as I was reading it. I wonder, did he, did he study English at college? He probably didn't. Because um, he's, he's, he would be a great author. It's just, it's a, it's a beautifully written piece and it just it makes Cameron come to life and I think that's so important when we have 
those kind of tragic deaths we just remember the name and, and you don't know the essence of the person you don't know what the person was like uh, so I think that's what he's managed to do uh, in the blog it's a, it's a lovely lovely piece and thank you there's no name on that text thank you to whoever uh, sent that in OK I want to go to an email that we got I'd hoped to get to this yesterday and the show got too busy and I just didn't get to it because it would have tied in really well with the piece that I did yesterday with Anne Dempsey of Senior Line and uh, and Dempsey was talking to us about how Senior Line has become so busy uh, during lockdown and the amount of older people who are ringing Senior Line of course Senior Line is designed for older people and the people who the volunteers who take the calls are older people themselves so it's you know it's kind of peer advice and uh, peer support uh, to each other and she was talking about that they've done an analysis of the calls that they've received and what people were worried about and how lockdown has affected older people and in in particular older people who are very fit and healthy and active and who in many ways do not see themselves as older people and suddenly because of COVID-19 they were all put into one group and told if you're over the age of 70 you stay indoors and all of your supports that you normally had and what kept you going and kept you socialising were all taken away literally overnight and the effect that it's had on older people and that we all just need to learn going forward and the powers that be need to learn going forward that we never do that again I think to a group of older people and I got in this email from a listener and just let me read it they don't want their name called out which is fine saying hi Patricia Myself and my wife look after my dad and have been doing for the last 20 years. We look after him in our own house. He's in his 90s now and he's in good health. We've no home help, nor do we think we need any. Well, up to now anyway. During this time, the Skibbereen Hospital developed a fantastic daycare facility. My dad attended one day a week and he has lived from one week to the next just for that day at daycare. It was the heart in his world. There was another great facility in Skibbereen for the older people and that was run by Skibbereen Geriatric. Attending these two events each week was the highlight and most important part of Dad's life. Those days were not going to be missed come hell or high water. Even family weddings, birthdays, communions were a mighty dilemma for him should they clash. It was his life, his total total life. It brought structure to his life. It brought him to his friends and he had such confidence and a dependence on the staff who dealt so professionally with his every need. We we can not and could not speak highly enough of the benefits socially, physically and mentally for all of the elders that attend that daycare centre, especially my dad. Then came COVID-19 and lockdown and cocooning. Their lives, or at least my dad's life, sort of stopped. They were abandoned and isolated by society and the people that he lived and longed for the company of. I know it had to be done, but no phone call, no letter, no email, nothing. It's as if they had died. The elders were just dropped. My dad said to me today that I suppose they've forgotten about us altogether, have they at this stage? I know people have gone through a lot since March with this virus. We can't have life the way it was before the virus is controlled. We can't have life the way it was until the virus is controlled. I've written to you, Patricia, to highlight the issue, to know others' views on the situation and ideas on this vulnerable set of people that are missing the few things in life that they really, really enjoyed. Can the HSE do anything? 
could the politicians come up with something? I read in the Southern Star that our local TD was out whale watching recently. Really? What are the staff... What are the staff that ran these facilities? What are they doing now? I feel they could still provide a lifeline by communicating in some form to their patients and the elders who feel some sense that they've not been completely abandoned. My name is irrelevant, really, but I'll give it to you. But please don't call it out on air as my dad would be mortified. But these people have no voice and I'm concerned for their well-being. Maybe we're alone, but I don't think we are. Wow, and I don't think you're alone. I, I, I think there are probably many, many other people who will absolutely identify with what you're saying about your dad. Your dad is lucky in many ways that he's living with you and your wife and he has company. But there will be other people and many of them, his friends that he meets at that daycare facility every week who are perhaps living on their own. We've had people that we have asked to cocoon who literally are on their own. Some people, as we spoke yesterday on Senior Line, some people coped well. I think of wonderful Eileen out on Bear Island who we spoke with many times during lockdown and her little goals that she set and and, and she managed well and has, has done well. I mean, she'd prefer not to be in the situation she's in. But there are others who have just gone so into themselves and do feel like they are the forgotten people. And... I've heard nothing about the reopening of daycare centres and we'll we'll look into it and see if we can find out if there's any timeline that at least if people knew. I mean, we've spoken about the forgotten group and the other forgotten group along with the older people are the people with disabilities who also have been left languishing uh, at home. And there are many, but but you're wrong. You're right in saying you're not on your own. Your dad is not on his own. There are many, many others uh, like him. So let's see if we can almost start the campaign to get these daycare centres open for older people. The majority, people just go for one day a week, but they literally are a lifeline. And you could do social distancing. I mean, these are older people who know and understand what's going on with the the virus. You know, they're, they're up to date. They keep up to date with the news. They're very good at abiding by rules and regulations. If they're told they have to sit two metres a metre apart whatever it is they will do exactly that they'll do the hand hygiene they'll do the cough etiquette if they're told they have to wear a face mask they'll do it they'll do everything that they're told to do but let's get their lives back on track let's let get them back out to their daycare centres for that one day a week I mean the other one that there's the big push and we constantly get texts in about it is the bingo the bingo is such a social outlet for so many people it might be the one night a week that they get out to meet their friends uh, as well but it's the it's the psychological effects we can we'll survive and please God we'll all survive without catching COVID-19 and therefore we'll survive coronavirus but what's the What's going to be the mental effect of it, the psychological uh, effect of it and the social effect of it? We can't forget that either. So thank you to that gentleman in West Cork who sent in that email to us to Patricia at uh, c103.ie. Heidi on the Greens going into power. Morning Patricia, you know my thoughts by now on the Greens. If they do get in, we'll all regret it. Definitely we'll regret it in rural Ireland. They have said if they don't get their way, they'll bring down the government. It would be so wrong for this country. India, yes. China, yes. The USA, yes. Yes, but not here. We're too small a country. While Dennis has a very different view. Dennis says, Patricia, climate and energy experts estimate that Ireland will face fines from Europe of up to 
600 million euro a year after 2020 unless we meet our targets. Can we really afford to continue doing nothing? No, we can't. We need the Greens in now and we need them now more than ever. That's from uh, Dennis. OK, a lot of commentary coming in on Colm Dorkin and his funeral and the social distancing. I'll get to all of those comments. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And let's not... Um, forget on this day 35 years ago 329 people died when the bomb exploded on the Air India flight they were of course 120 miles off the Cork uh, coast Uh, 35 years ago it really is incredible it was when I saw that there's a picture on the back page of the examiner today you know where they do that on this day and they go through all the various things that happened on this day over the years and they actually have a photograph which was taken at the time by staff uh, photographer Dennis Minahan and it was the dramatic picture of the bodies in the Air India disaster in the temporary morgue at what was then Cork Regional Hospital and went on of course we now know it as uh, the Cork University Hospital even though people will still refer to it as, as the regional but it's one of those unbelievably dramatic shots of what just like body bags uh, after body bag after body bag of all these bodies just laid out on the floor. It's just such, uh, it's an iconic photograph of its of its time uh, as well. And that was 35 years ago today, Flight 181. It was en route from Montreal to New Delhi. They had 280 Canadians, 27 British and 22 Indian citizens uh, were uh, killed. And normally on this day, there are commemorations held in uh, Aha Kishta, which is where the Memorial Garden is in West Cork. But obviously, because of COVID-19, that can't go ahead this year. So dignitaries will lay wreaths on behalf of the Canadian, the Indian and uh, people of Cork for the families who can't travel to the Memorial in Aha Kishta this year. And I know I heard it on the news there, our own Cork County Mayor, Ian Doyle is holding an online memorial for all the for the relatives and for all of those who died. So we remember all of those who died in that Air, Air India disaster, as I say, 35 uh, years ago. May they all rest in peace. 1850 OK, can I just bring you a selection of some of the comments that have come in following Breda and Gronia, who joined us uh, on the programme in the last hour. Breda was worried about the, the lack of social distancing at Cullum uh, Horgan's funeral last weekend and her fear is that while she has huge sympathies for the family but her, her fear was that it sends out the wrong message and that people will start saying, oh sure, if they were able to do that at that funeral, why can't we do it at my funeral or why can't we do it at a party or, or whatever. Some of your thoughts coming in on that. Uh, Tom Inrath Cormac said, they were right to all be together for that funeral. Sure isn't the Covid thing almost all finished up now. We need to start getting back to normal. You see, I worry. That's a kind of a comment that I really worry about, Tom, because yes, we're trying to get back to normal, but that Covid thing, as you say, 
is not gone. The virus has not gone away. I mean, you just look at any of the other countries. Look at Germany. Germany had started to reopen and look what's happening uh, there. So sadly, Tom, it hasn't uh, gone away. Jarrah says you can't have one rule for one and another rule for others. I agree with Breitha. Every life is important. Nancy in Bantry said, I agree with Breitha. There was no masks. Everyone was on top of each other. Why the guard, the, why that guard, the Horkin, was doing his job when he was shot. What about the farmer whose tractor might turn over and if he dies, you, you can't have big funeral, you can't have big crowds like that while we are living in the middle of a pandemic. It cannot be done for other professions. And I know it was awful what happened, but the point has to be made and well done to Breitha for uh, highlighting it. And some of your texts in um, this. Uh, hi, uh, Patricia. I agree fully with Breitha's uh, comments this morning. Read the poor guard this funeral. A terrible thing did happen, but it should not have been allowed to happen. The crowds attending the funeral. I have a, I have a great friend of over 50 years. I wasn't allowed to go to the funeral. Another young acquaintance passed away and the guard, they actually dispersed to neighbours when the hearse stopped outside the person's house. One rule for some, etc. Not right, is it? I could go on. Thanking you, Patricia. Please don't call out my uh, name. Breathe is right, says somebody. No, breathe is entitled to her view. And she sees the bigger picture that coronavirus could spread with the crowds with no social distancing and uh, cause other equally loved ones to pass away. Another texter says, if you go into any supermarket, people are on top of each other. Leave that poor man. Rest in peace. Hi, I watched every minute of the funeral. Totally agree with Breitha. We're all doing our best. Certainly there was no social distancing going on. I agree with Breitha, says another texter. I know three families that have children under the age of 12 that lost a parent during the pandemic and they couldn't attend the funerals. Is their loss any less than the loss of Gartha Horgan? Hi, uh, Patricia. I was listening to the story about that poor guard that I think Breitha is being selfish, to be on about it. I didn't hear her on when people were protesting and they were out for other reasons. I didn't hear her on about social distancing them. Paula says, I do not agree with uh, with Breitha. They should not have been such a big crowd left at that funeral. There are other ways to send your support. Or sorry, I do agree with Breather. Uh, mass cards, light a candle or post a message on social media. That's from Paula. Hi, uh, Patricia. I think people are getting carried away with the social distancing. If you're not coughing, spitting or sneezing up on top of somebody, surely you can stand stand side by side, especially at a funeral. That's from Jay. And says, I was listening to Breathe from Mill Street talking about the funeral on Sunday and I do not agree with her. The guard could have been shot in Mill Street or indeed any other small town. Wasn't it nice to see so many people mourning that guard and supporting his uh, family and someone else says she's not much to be talking about tell her get a life and would she not please show some uh, respect okay so a kind of uh, very much a divide with Ruth saying I don't think anyone is saying the nation shouldn't grieve at the loss of Detective Horgan but COVID-19 won't make any distinction between a mass gathering be that at a state funeral or a mass gathering anywhere else 1850-333-103 keep your calls coming please I mentioned the Air India uh, flight that went down 35 years ago with the loss of 329 uh, lives and God knows their family are remembering this day uh, today and mourning the loss of their loved ones. Mary uh, joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you Mary. 
Hello, Patricia. You you have a memory of this day, or it's your husband has a memory of this day. Absolutely, Patricia. I'm even crying now at the moment. You know, I'm sorry about this. But no, you're okay. What are, what are your memories? What happened? My memories are that when it came down, the rentman called here and told me about it, you know. And um, then, well, eventually my husband had to take the bodies. Now he drove, he drove like all over the world, really, so to speak, long distance truck driver. Yeah. He even saw stuff there from the north of Ireland during the troubles and it was frightening and dangerous. And long, long hours. He said the hardest journey he ever made was to take those bodies into CUH. You know, it, it was one of the hardest things he ever had to do in his life of driving. He's 74 now. My goodness. And he said he's still, even to this day, he'd fill up and he talked about it, trying. You know, we're very soft people. We are. We are. And he, so he got the call to ask oh, yeah. if... He was driving for a whole year. He didn't have his own lorry nowhere. OK. So they were asked to go where to collect the bodies? To go... To, to would it be... Where, where did the... the to to, to Ahakista, a, a where the memorial that's, garden is. That's right. Yeah. So they the bodies... The bodies... There. The bodies were placed the bodies. In, in body bags. And oh, put absolutely. on the back of your husband's refrigerator truck. truck. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. He said it was absolutely right. He wasn't, he didn't feel creepy about it, but he just felt so, so sorry. You know. And he, was, he was, he on his, was he on his own in the truck? Oh, he was, yeah. yeah. And there was another lorry as well, bringing more people. And they made that long, lonely journey. Very lonely, very lonely. I mean, he was well used to the road and well used to long journeys and up early in the morning late at night. But he said that was the one journey that he just felt so, so difficult. And 35 years ago, he remembers it like it was yesterday. Oh, listen, to this day, even this morning, his eyes were really up talking about it. Very, very sad. Like God loved them. Yeah, it was you know, God loved them. I'm sorry, Patricia. For yeah. No, 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 no. Listen, and it's 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 only right and proper that we remember them. And I think this year more than ever, the fact that the family members can't make that journey. You know, they've exactly. come. They've That's come every point. year. Yeah, they exactly. can't. Exactly. Whereas uh, Joe and I, my husband, we could always go into the regional and see that beautiful picture inside in the regional of it's gorgeous. You know. These lovely people, you know, yeah. and we all see it if we're going and visiting somebody or whatever. But their families can't. Oh, it's so sad. But Very we, but we, we can do our bit by talking about them today and about remembering them. So I think so. Know. I think so. I think so. Okay. It's a very sad day all round. Like even talking about that Cam, little lad Cameron. Cameron Blair. Yeah, we yeah. have a lady in a twenty-five, and I could just imagine God forbid. If anything happened to him, how I feel, you know, so it's all a bit doom and gloom. And I suppose we're all feeling a bit down on account of this uh, virus that's going around anyway. Yeah. It's not helping. Yeah, know? yeah. I think we're all more emotional than we normally are. And we're all I a bit, so. we're more vulnerable. We're certainly more vulnerable. Yeah, 
because I'm not an emotional person. <laughs> so I work in a hospital. I saw mothers at baby's time. I saw baby's time. I saw, you know, different people dying, fathers, the families and everything. But I thought this was something horrific. Yeah. The wide earthly world of this area in India. And to see the way it affected my husband for years. For a long time, he didn't talk about it, but he's more inclined to talk about it now. Yeah, yeah. And that's important as well. Oh, well, it's very important to talk about things, you know. Yeah. So listen, well, listen, well, thank you for calling us and, and you look after yourself and, and your gorgeous husband because I think if, if the families could know that what a kind, compassionate man was taking oh, their, no. you know, that that's, that's important. Married, listen, Gally, we're married right now for 35 years. Are you? And, you know, I couldn't but say the same thing, you know. Well, you're, oh. you're, you have a good heart as well. You look after yourself, okay? Yeah. Oh, God bless. Thank you very take much. Take care, take care. Uh, 1850 Mary and her memories of 35 years ago. Oh, God, what a lonely journey that was for her husband, Joe, and, and the other truck driver. Just a job you'd never want to be asked to do and would never want to do again, for sure. Okay, can see if we can help out somebody who's going through a bit of a struggle at the moment. Nora in Dreamer League was on to us. She has lost uh, what she describes as a very sentimental ring. She lost it in either Skibbereen or the Baltimore area. It was last Saturday. It was her husband's ring, her husband's wedding ring, I'm assuming, and he's passed away since she was hand sanitising and washing her hands. She thinks it might have fallen off. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. OK, now, I'm assuming we're talking about a wedding band, the husband's wedding band. She did no description on the ring, no description on the ring. OK, uh, if anybody found a ring, Skibbereen or Baltimore, and it was definitely lost sometime last Saturday. We have uh, Nora in Dumalik. We have her contact details if anybody has found that or heard of somebody who found a ring in West Cork area last Saturday. 1850-333-103 John Paul and Sadie taking your course text to WhatsApp 0862-103-103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie Now the blood transfusion uh, service they are holding donor clinics right across this week in Mallow GAA Sports Complex but it's by appointment only you can call them at 021 4807 491. Focus Ireland are looking for people to participate in their Show Your Colours campaign. It's taking place from the 3rd through to the 5th of July. With very little inter-county sport or festivals taking place, you're encouraged to brighten up your community with flags and buntings and t-shirts, etc. and support Focus Ireland. Register and send your photographs to events at focusireland.ie and the Churchtown Community Council are fundraising to refurbish their community hall and they're asking people to donate a slate slate costs 20 euro and anyone who buys five or more well, go in for a draw for an Apple iPad worth €400. Euro. You can donate online at www.ifundraise.ie forward slash CTS Community Hall. C103 encourages you to shop local during COVID-19. Some stores can now open safely, so let's do our shopping locally. Use Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to search for hashtag shop local and check to see what Cork businesses are now open. Check to see what Cork businesses are now open. It's a sign of the time. Get everything you need from toys to toilet roll and groceries to gardening. Support your neighbours, friends and communities and shop local. It's a sign of the 
Time. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, a Cork family business looking after you in this time of need. CMIG.ie. Shop local with C103. Last week on the programme, I spoke with Councillor Gillian Coughlin, who was highlighting the issue of b- bad broadband service in parts of uh, West Cork. And in particular, she was talking about people who had to go to the church car park in Bandon in which to pick up a decent broadband signal. Well, our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran travelled to the church car park in uh, Bandon where she spoke to some people who are working in their cars in the car park of uh, St. Patrick's Church in Bandon and they've been doing it since the start of lockdown. I work, well I actually work from home but I work with a company CNH Industrial like I normally work from home and I do a bit of travelling in that but um, with the lockdown it was work from home but obviously the the broadband was really really poor so to do Teams calls to download any big files or anything like that I have to come into the churchyard here you know so I could be in here for an hour I could be in here for four hours depending on what's happening each day so it's painful Um, you know you're sitting in the one place for a long period of time so you know it's uncomfortable then if it's a really hot day we had some fantastic weather which is great but when you're sitting in the car and it's really really hot it's um it's difficult so it's um you know it's it's just it's not nice yeah that's another problem we had training there a few weeks ago so there were extended sessions on microsoft teams and you know i had to leave the training early because the battery in the laptop went so once the battery went i had to go and that was that so go home and have something to eat charge the laptop and get back in again so it's um it's very awkward the restrictions are easing so you know you'll be hoping that it mightn't last so long but with our the company that I work for are encouraging us to work more from home and do more teams calls so you know the pressure is on there so I really don't know Um, but you know for for to do any of those calls you need you know reasonable broadband which at the moment we don't have I would understand if we were 20 or 30 miles from a town you know, but we're literally a few kilometres away from Bandon Town and we're not really up the side of a mountain or anything like that, you know, where it's just, we're, we're quite close to Bandon Town. And um, at, in this day and age, I think it's unse- unacceptable, really. It's Mavo Sullivan Kennedy. I was working full-time in office in Cork and when lockdown started, we were advised, obviously, to work from home where it initially was a trial period um, before the actual full lockdown kicked in. So I've been working at home since I think 7th of March. Um, the company have said that the everyone will be working from home until the 1st of September. And after that point, there will be a phased basis of people returning to work. So maybe 20% of people returning to work from the 1st of September. But I expect that, that everyone won't be going back for a long time. It's emotionally draining. It's physically draining if you're in the car. It's it's And the stress factor is unbelievable. You just don't know when it's going to go. Uh, I've been in the middle of a call, a client call for work, and the internet just goes. And I, I'm off, dropped off a call for 20 minutes, trying to jump in the car, and get back online and try and get back, join, rejoin a call. It's really stressful. You don't know when it's going to go. That's the problem. If we knew it was going to be gone from 11 to 2 or whatever the case maybe it might be a little bit easier. But it's just you just never know. So now working from your car, like how's that then? It's it's not nice. It's horrible. Um, you don't have the space for your laptop properly. You don't have power supply to your laptop. Um, there's no toilet facilities in my car, obviously. Um, you know, it's just really draining. The if on the hot days we've had, the my phone has um, switched off because of the overheating. 
and it's just it's not good you know stressful so you can't continue like this no it's not it's not sustainable we can't continue like this it's really bad for our health you know it's a constant state of stress that we're under and it's just not sustainable we just need to get this sorted. We're not the only people who are going through this. In this day and age, It's uh, internet is one of the basic needs, like water, electricity, we need it now. There's so many things we need the internet for. And if, if we couldn't work from our cars, if we couldn't work from our offices, we would have been on the COVID payment because we would have been out of work, essentially. So we need to get this sorted. My name is James O'Regan. Um, I work from home. Um, as an IT consultant and I work for a company called Version 1 an IT consultancy so we provide support to some of the biggest companies in Ireland yeah. Why are you working in your car? Um, well <laughs> basically I suppose it's the, the lack of internet uh, speed in our area and secondly um, the Covid situation due to lockdowns I had no other option to uh, come to the car park here um, I couldn't go to my parents or usually would go to my mother-in-law's but that was all um, off the cards when the, the lockdown came in. Um, yeah, and it's just unsustainable. You can't work at the moment with the internet in our area. Um, you couldn't even do a Skype call. So it's uh, it's ridiculous in this day and age that you have to come to a car park. And has it always been like that? Or is it um, yeah, well, I moved into the area maybe three years ago and it, the internet was never great. Um, you know, I could just get by working I couldn't do a Skype call no or anything like that it would all have to be done through the the mobile but at least I could connect to a network and get by some bit um, earlier in the mornings it's better you have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning it's, it's fine then so Jane when you come to 9 10 o'clock you might as well forget about it um, there's nothing worse than sitting in your house and you're trying to get it to work and you're the constant worry when is it going to go when is it going to drop um, so when you do come to the car park and you get connected it's actually a sense of relief that you can do a day's work but at the same time it's difficult uh, you're sitting in the same position for seven hours you have battery problems you have to go home to charge your battery to come back again uh, it's just demoralising you know it's very frustrating in this day and age you should be able to work from your own home I really think politicians need to take a serious look at this um, especially in areas like Gagan like for example you've got a fibre line just a kilometre away I don't see why they can't just extend that to service 50, 60 houses in the area. Like, it's it's nonsense. And it's just, it's practical um, that they have to do that. Um, because, again, it's all going to be remote working, uh, online for schooling, things like that. That's the future. Um, that's So definitely the government, the politicians coming in now need to take a serious look at that. In fairness... To our local councillor, Gillian Cochran, she's done uh, great work on it. She's highlighted the seriousness of the situation. So I have to call her out. She has done amazing work so far on it. Okay, it's just a bizarre situation. And I think that last gentleman is right. Remote learning and remote working. If we've learned anything from COVID-19, I think it is that remote working and remote learning can and does work but impossible in a situation like that where you've been asked to drive to the local church car park in order to pick up a Wi-Fi signal. Just seems uh, crazy. Ian on Twitter to at C103 Cork. Know the feeling. I have to walk down the field and up the hill just to get 2G mobile. West Cork is bottom of the pile when it comes to telecommunications. Shameful in this day and age. Broadband only available by satellite with slow speeds and constant disconnects. And Gat on our, uh, also on our Twitter feed. Have you heard the saying Fallen on deaf 
deaf ears, they don't view rural areas as being profitable. That's verified by broadband companies who openly say it's not commercially viable. Sadly, God has been replaced by a love of money and people are now seen as commodities. And once again, thank you to uh, Fiona Corcoran, our news reporter, heading down to the the church car park abandoned for that piece uh, yesterday. Now, just some more of your texts and calls coming in to us. Um, Hi, Patricia. This is from Jill. My neighbour's niece was taking driving lessons before COVID-19 hit and we went into lockdown. Now they're going to restart at the end of June. She's understandably worried about safe distancing in a car. Have you heard how that is going to uh, work? I haven't, but I know tomorrow we're going to be doing a piece about the fact that driving lessons can start back up again and the problem that we're going to have with people applying for driving tests as well. So come back to us tomorrow, uh, Jill, and hopefully we'll have some sort of clarity for you on that. But Hannah was on to say, Patricia, I would love if you could give a complimentary mention to the staff of the NDLS Driving Licence Centre at Mallow. I had my licence renewed there yesterday. Now, there was difficulty over my date of birth, but they were so pleasant and helpful in sorting it out that I feel they deserve to be acknowledged. We tend to complain about bad services, but are, are in- inclined to take take excellent service for granted so it's good to call it out it is indeed Hannah thank you for that well done actually we whenever anybody goes along to any of the driving licence uh, centres the one in Mallow in particular we get a lot of calls about there just seem to be a great bunch of people They, you know whoever work in those centres they're just they're pleasant they're nice they're helpful you know rather than know the computer says no no that date of birth doesn't match go away they, you know they seem to go above and beyond to sort out whatever the issues are so good to hear thank you and thank you Hannah for taking time out to send that text to us and just a final couple of ones on the funeral the state funeral at the weekend Uh, Hi Tricia that fella Tom who thinks the Covid thing is all over it's the likes of him who'll cause the second wave doesn't he he realised with his attitude that he could potentially cause somebody to uh, die I'm not going to put it as strongly as you put it in in your text but I know the point you're making yeah and that is the danger the virus has not uh, gone away Anthony says it was a tragedy what happened to that poor Garda but it's not fair to other uh, funerals Uh, a poor lady has been savagely killed by a sword will her funeral be as open I wonder someone else says I'm really angry over what happened happened at uh, Gore, the Horkins uh, funeral. One uh, I know of a family where an only child died and none of his friends were allowed into the house and they weren't allowed to shoulder the uh, coffin. Uh, 1850 And hi Patricia, this is on a completely different issue. I thought I'd seen everything but I saw a man walking down the street and he had his dog on a lead. He then stopped at the local supermarket. He picked up the dog, popped him into a black bag, closed the bag and walked into the supermarket. I thought I'd seen it all. <laughs> and someone else, this is reacting to the um, to the gentleman that contacted us about his dad and how much his dad is missing out on the daycare cent- centres and he's a man in his 90s and how he just feels that he has been totally forgotten about and they've been left languishing at home. Someone says the elderly were discriminated, have always been discriminated against but they were discriminated against when it came to the COVID-19 payment. Those aged over 66 did not receive the COVID payment. My husband, aged 82, always does our shopping, but he also works 18 hours a week 
at 82. What a man. To supplement our pension. Obviously, his job went, but he wasn't entitled to the COVID-19 payment. I hope Leo and his merry men reflect guilt says this uh, texter. 1850-333-103. Going to take a break and we're back chatting with Joe Heffern. Farm Sir Walcher. Let's see 103. COVID needig on shut in air and ox cameras are a horse can with fain ox a kayla a cousins. Anish to plan the care came in a own like on tira or school to reach. Tommy dig and Zara came free law her ox marshin by Daryl a cooper shrinta a via on Hannah. Lurvins to omit an a not fun garvazer air light of Rina Ella. Talk yadag of bulsus the dini tavum wit and sock agasatea Ella. Ach fos fun garvazer on a kayla. Neil cad nismo not shesheran chuma. Anish to yadag a tashel of her kunta hefain. A Kahashi Fanach the Vuskilt, Fihe Kilometer, Din Tak. Matash of Lastia Agus a mask on football, Bader Aaron Mosno on train, Dane Iracht mask Eigel Kahav on Tamar Fad. Tokyada Kurikunigig, Bulsus, Lahag Akliach no sport, A Kahashi Vet Tavemwe. Fan Savata, Dane Kri Leshnerilika. Lahai Tilla Olish, Fonlin, RC 103. By the way, we're trying to get back on to Biddy from uh, Kilavolan about the rogue parrot. Remember the parrot uh, yesterday? But we're just, she's obviously having a busy morning because we can't make contact with her. But thank you to people who are wondering what happened to the. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rogue uh, Parrot. Uh, Joe Heffernan is in Bohabui and he joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And how are you today? Uh, not too bad, no. Um, we could do with a bit of sunshine, but sure, we'll have to settle. And are you enjoying getting out and about and being out and about? Absolutely. Um, and our sons were able to visit uh, for the birthday. Um, Father's Day. And, um, you know, we had a bit of lunch and things. And right. um, that was the first time that they had been home since February. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah but incredible. all the more welcome for that, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's yeah, it. it was great. Okay, we want to talk about a really serious um, subject today. And this is news, figures that have just come out uh, showing that more than 1,000 children were treated in hospital for drug and alcohol related uh, issues last year. I mean, that is just a staggering figure of which 63% were girls. So these are all under the age of 18. They were actually as young as 10 up to 17, twice as many girls as boys uh, were uh, treated. Actually, some of the kids were actually less than nine 
God, it's just, it makes for such shocking reading. It does. I, 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 I couldn't believe my eyes when I read it. Um, I think it is from, now I'm not certain, but I think it's from a growing up in Ireland study um, from the ESS, uh, ESRI, I think. But wherever it's from, I mean, it seems to be um, uh, validated by, um, uh, you know, for example, Dr. Kira Martin, a consultant paediatrician with Children's Health Ireland says that she is concerned at the numbers of teenagers presenting with alcohol issues. Now, the 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 thing shook me um, to the extent that uh, I contacted yourselves there. Um, uh, I, I just couldn't take in. Now, I don't understand at all about the 264 kids were aged less than nine years old. Now... I know that there are a certain number of newborn children who can be affected if their mums were using drugs or alcohol. Yeah. And I understand that. So a small percentage of that number uh, will yeah, be included in, yeah, in that I, figure. I mean, but what we're, we're talking about, and I think the, 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 the biggest bulk of the uh, more than a thousand children are the, the kids and their children aged between 10 and 17 the teenagers in particular, I think, is the one that's glaringly sticking out from this. But the, it's the, I mean, teenagers will always experiment with alcohol. I mean, we all did it ourselves and it's just, I'm not saying it's a rite of passage, but it almost is a rite of passage to experiment and have a drink or two or, you know, taste it or whatever. But the fact that these children ended up in hospital. Yeah. It's, to me, yeah. is the is the is the. I mean, I was I, when I was looking through the the results of this this report. You know, I was thinking, like, I remember as teenagers experimenting with drink, and it was you know a can of cider, or you know, yeah. um, I don't remember anybody ever ending up in hospital. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? That's the real worry. It's yeah. the amount of drink and drugs that they must be taking that cause them to end up in hospital. Yeah, seven hundred and sixty-two of the people, uh, the kids in hospital uh, from alcohol, drugs issues was um, between 10 and 17, 762. And uh, that same um, paediatrician also makes the point um, that probably the numbers quoted, now this is really um, frightening, is maybe only the tip of the iceberg um, because... um, uh, of the actual number of children who are, um, you know, taking alcohol at a younger age, because uh, the children that she is referring to and that um, are the numbers that are quoted in the report tends to be the children that come into hospital, and they're the ones that have either collapsed or maybe are found outside are out with their friends and have taken more alcohol than their system can cope with, to quote um, what she had to say. So that, like, it's only the people who are getting into uh, trouble to the extent that they finish up in hospital that are referred to. Now, when you think logically about it then, um, uh, it's... uh, the numbers would be much higher. And... I suppose, like, uh, no, uh, an interesting thing as well, 
is that the total number of uh, the children treated for drugs and alcohol-related illnesses in hospital is spread throughout the country. Um, and nearly a third were in children's hospitals. But um, it just shows uh, the way that society has gone. And um, I think education is going to have to be the answer. Um, there but, was a, but is it availability of alcohol? Is it cheap alcohol? I mean, are there, are there a number of reasons pointing to this? I would imagine that that would contribute, of course, because some older-looking chap... Um, can go in to um, uh, retail outlets and can buy uh, slabs of um, of uh, cans of beer, and that might be the least worrying of it in one way, because they can also buy a bottle of vodka or whatever else. And um, yeah, I think statistically the price of alcohol has reduced dramatically. Uh, since back in the day when it was, you know, an expensive item and much harder to come by because, um, you know, there was a time when even off-licenses were kind of rare and um, uh, obviously a young person going into a pub to buy 24 cans of beer um, would probably not get them. Um, So, yes, you have all of that and then you have distresses. Um, uh, I'm hoping that next week we could talk about another survey that was done called Growing Up in Ireland and it's like how young adults have been affected by the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and it's uh, some of the all of the, the facts in it are extremely interesting but what I'm getting at there and what reminds me of that is that stress is one of the big big um, uh reasons for this increase in um in substance abuse whether it's alcohol whether it's um uh cannabis whether it's um you know uh, whatever um is is being used and i mean you could say that it's a bit of a hobby horse of mine but i have reason for it to be a hobby horse because i've spoken to so many young people in my office um uh, who have been very negatively affected by social media. Mm. And um, that definitely is, um, you know, it's it's become a huge stress thing um, for younger people. Um, all this idea of image, of, um, you know, perfection, perfect lives being portrayed which obviously are not realistic at all, but some people, are, some young people are, you know, um, uh, feeling that they have to live up to those kind of standards. And all of that kind of stress, I think, leads to one seeking relief, seeking an escape from the feelings that these uh, issues can engender. And very often... Um, drinking drugs? Yeah. Yeah, can be the escape route out of doors. The only thing, of course, is the the that it doesn't work. It it finishes up in a bad place. It finishes up being a statistic, um, a person, a real person, probably a very very nice person. I I have often found that people who get into trouble with drinking drugs are often the nicest of people. Um, you know that they just can't cope with the harsh realities of the world. 
um, and, uh, you know, get caught up in, a, in an addiction issue. Um, when people get into recovery and get into being, um, you know, uh, clean and sober, um, you, you find the real person. You find a very nice person, a very good person. And um, uh, so we, we should remember that um, when, you know, and not to be judgmental of the young person. But um, uh, I, I, there was a time when, well, no, I'm not saying it's ever stopped, but it has recently, of course, when the schools are closed and all. There was a time when members of NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, would have gone into schools and done talks. And I think that was a great thing because, you know, uh, you can have experts and doctors and uh, counsellors and all of that um, uh, speaking about these matters. But it really, really hits home when somebody sits down or stands up in front of the uh, students and can say, uh, my name is X and I, I'm an addict. Or my name is X and I'm an alcoholic, and uh, the 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 young people then really tune in because they know that this person knows what he or she is talking mm. about. Yes. Yeah, I think young Nicole Ryan from uh, Mill Street who lost her brother Alex. He when he took one of those N bomb yeah. drugs and uh, passed away, and like she's just made it her life's passion. She goes around to schools, and I think when she stands up as a young person. And, you know, she talks about Alex, uh, yeah. what Alec, her brother, was like and how yeah. his life was taken yeah. because of utter stupidity of taking this drug one night yeah. that he didn't realise what he was taking. Yeah. And I think that packs a powerful punch. It certainly does. That that would be, yeah. And that's a wonderful service. And, you know, um, I salute her for doing that. Um, yeah, I remember it well. I think it was in... Um, uh, Douglas Road or uh, Bandon Road or some yeah. of the places there in Cork and um, I believe that the scene was um, horrendous uh, yeah, dreadful, when, dreadful. When, yeah. and, and people can fall into that road of addiction quite quickly Joe Absolutely, I mean <coughs> a person who takes a drink, no one ever put down on their CA or that they wanted to be an alcoholic or that they wanted to be a drug addict I mean it's all, a lot of it is a kind of um, you know, a bit of a bit of risk taking, a bit of innocence. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll try this. A, a lot of it is the fitting in, wanting to be cool. That um, uh, if there's stuff going around at a party, um, uh, that uh, you know, it takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of courage to be the one to say no, thank you, not for me. Um, uh, and unfortunately, you know, we all know the famous phrase, the, the peer pressure, but it's real. And um, people want to belong. Young people want to belong. They want to be part of. So um, uh, many people can get um, uh, taken in uh, by uh, by wanting to fit in. And a lot of people don't understand that the effects are different for different individuals. I remember talking to a father in Cork. Um, his surname was Betts. His daughter took one Leah, ecstasy. Leah, Leah Betts. Leah Betts. Yeah, I yeah. remember interviewing the man, yeah. Yeah, she took one yeah. ecstasy for on her 18th birthday. In, at a house party where he was. Hmm? In their own house. Happened in their own house. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I didn't remember that. Yeah, bit. yeah. But there you are. Yeah, and I sat down here in the office one day um, with a young person who told me that they had taken 13 <laughs> ecstasy pills at the weekend. Oh my God. And, you know, the person was still standing and yeah. still okay. So you don't know. One can kill a person, another person can get okay. away with more, but eventually okay. it ain't the way to go. No, okay, and Matt, who uh, is, uh, an al- was an alcoholic, says uh, Joe is uh, spot on, education is the key. Okay, uh, that's where we have to leave it for today. Joe, have a great week and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you. Thanks Patricia. for joining us. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohabui. His number is 029 That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul and to uh, Sadie. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will talk to you tomorrow at 10. We're now in phase two of the government's roadmap to easing restrictions. Social visits may now be slowly introduced again. For the first time since lockdown measures were introduced, Irish people will be permitted to visit their family in their respective homes. Up to four people may visit another household for a short period of time. Remember though, social distancing must still be adhered to. Those who are cocooning can have a small number of visitors to their home. The visitors must wear gloves, face coverings and keep at least two metres away from the person who is cocooning. As part of phase two, slightly larger groups of people will be allowed to attend funerals also. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. C103 is online everywhere. We'll keep you up to date with everything happening across Cork. Follow us on Facebook. Simply search for C103. Join us on Twitter. Search for our handle at C103Cork. And for photos and vids, find us on Instagram at C103Cork. Connect with us on social today at C103. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.